I'll do the intro. Okay. Sound good? That sounds good. Hello and welcome to It's the Greatest Show, Man, the show where we talk about the musicals you love and why they're great and why they suck. I am your host, Brantley Wheeler, and with me as always is my co-host, Emily Chavone. Hello. So, Emily, welcome to episode one. It's episode one. I'm very excited to be here. This has only been 18 months in the making. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's oh, so long. All right. So, do we want to talk about a little bit about ourselves before, like to introduce ourselves to our audience or like what do you want to do here you want to talk about your theater background your credibility and hosting this podcast all right so i guess like if you were just if you're tuning in hello welcome yeah uh, you don't know us we don't know you that's fine but we're not anyone famous we should probably talk about ourselves at least a little bit so i'm brantley i am a theater educator and uh pretty much anything you can do in theater i've done it i worked on tech side i've done performing um, my career now is working in technical theater, so that is kind of where I le- more lean my expertise. I've always loved musicals. My introduction to musicals began when I was but a wee lad, and like my grandma had so many musicals that we would watch all the time. Um, I grew up watching like things like Singing in the Rain and The King and I, Yankee Doodle Dandy, Damn Yankees. Oh, it's all the kind of stuff I grew up watching, and ever since then I've developed a love for musicals and theater. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of my background. Like, this is wh- this is why I'm here. Where are you here, Emily? Um, okay, well, my introduction to musical theater. So, the first musical I ever saw was The Wizard of Oz. I was, like, seven or eight. And I went to see my high school's production with my dad. And it was amazing. I was a music kid in school. I was in band, choir, and orchestra. I've always been a performer. Uh, when I was in high school, I really thought I wanted to be an opera singer for about a year. And then I really discovered what musical theater was and realized that that was my like number one love in life. So I actually got a bachelor's in musical theater, which Ooh. was a choice that 18-year-old Emily made, but uh, <laughs> it's good. Um, I've performed on stage. I've done a lot of stage management. And then... I stopped doing theater for a while because I thought I didn't love theater anymore. And then a couple years later, I decided I actually did love theater. So I uh, got a master of arts in teaching and now I'm a high school theater teacher. Oh, look at you. (laughs) Sounds surprised. Falling into the same trope of every theater kid ever. Like we don't work together. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, well, you know. Yes. Dear listeners, we do work together. That's how we know each other. Yes, we do. Yeah, we are co-workers. We work in the same place at the same yeah, time. So we've most, most of the time. The time. Uh, and we've done four theater productions together now. Is that right? We've done a grand total of like four. We've done two plays, a review, and a full musical. Yep, that sounds right. In the two-ish years we've known each other, slash work together. Yep, that sounds that is right. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say we've done one, but no, you're right. We've four. Done four. Four is more yes. correct. Yes. It feels like a lot more than that. And also like not that much, but yeah. Yeah. One of those things where it's like we met two years ago and I feel like I've known you like my for whole a lot life, longer yes. than that. <laughs> but I think, I think we should explain why th- this podcast exists specifically. And this goes, I think, to the, ver- the very first day we met. 
<laughs> yes, it does actually. Um, so why are, so why are we here? That's the big question. Why are we even here so... talking about this? And <laughs> what we can say? <laughs> why don't you go ahead and explain this whole situation? Okay, so um, we are not uh, the only people in our department. We have a colleague who introduced us. And uh, on I met her before I met you. And on the day we met, she said, Emily, this is Brantley. He also likes musicals and you'll probably get along really well. And I said, oh, I like musicals too. What are your favorite musicals? And the first thing you said was... And this is where our friendship and rivalry started. <laughs> And this is this is where like this is like <laughs> our Batman origin story like this begins. Is my jo- this is my villain origin story. <laughs> Pretty much. From this day. And and you said Joseph and the Amazing. I said, Technical well, one Electric of my favorite Go. musicals was Joseph, yeah. And I said, No, it's was not. one of them, yes. And I remember later that day going home and calling one of my best friends from college and saying like this man is going to be one of my best friends but he has terrible taste in musicals (laughs) (laughs) and i disagree and that's what we're here to discuss today right this is like going to be a thing from this point on where we're going to talk about musicals that we disagree on today we're starting with joseph and the amazing technicolor dreamcoat which is again to reiterate in my top five favorite musicals not my favorite musical but in my top five, and my reasons are very sentimental. That's why it's in my top five. Um, but let's kind of, let's just go ahead and just delve right into this. So, okay. for those of you that don't know, uh, let's talk about what Joseph is and what it's about. So, uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, usually just shortened to just Joseph in the theater community or just in, mm-hmm. as a whole, is a family-friendly musical comedy. It's a sung through musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice and based off of the biblical story of Joseph found in the book of Genesis. Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers born to their father, Jacob. He is also his father's favorite, which leads to Jacob getting Joseph, gifting Joseph with a coat of many colors, making his other brothers jealous. The brothers then plot to get rid of Joe and his precious coat once and for all. I know that this is audio only, but I'm sure you heard me roll my eyes already started oh i definitely definitely (laughs) i heard the clicking it's already started honestly i only rolled my eyes that you called him joe but we can talk about that later (laughs) i'm probably going to end up doing that a lot so i'm just going to shorten every lot of these people's names okay where should we start with this the positive or the negative well i guess it depends on how you'd like to end because i don't have very many nice things to say. Uh, I'm shocked. Y- you know, this is your in your top five. This is my number one least favorite musical in the universe. <laughs> and I'm going to try really hard not to be negative all the time, but we're... Okay, so let's go ahead and start. Why? Why do you hate this show? So when we first met and you told me Joseph was in your top five, my brain went to, this is my least favorite musical. I hate it so much, like an active, pure hatred that like raised my blood pressure and energized me to like run over bunnies in the street. I don't, it just, (laughs) it was such a strong passion. And honestly, at that point, I don't know how long it had been since I experienced anything Joseph related. 
So in the last 10 days, having watched a stage production and the 1999 film, I realized I don't have so much active hatred anymore, but about 20 minutes into the movie, I did lose the will to live. (laughs) So this is the the kind of emotions we're dealing with today. I'm I'm so sad for you that you have this much hate there for this show. There are so many things I hate about this show. <laughs> okay. We've talked about this podcast for a long time, and we've always said this would be our first episode because it is so polarizing for us. Mm-hmm. And so I started taking notes on this show over <laughs> a year ago, knowing that we were going to talk about it someday without having watched it. So, and I'll tell you, like, the number one thing that I dislike about this show is the number of genre changes in the music Mm -hmm. which exist for no reason (laughs) so uh, I would like to offer you a reading from the book of Stephen Sondheim a very short reading content dictates form Mm -hmm. meaning you don't get to write a different genre just because it would be fun you need a legitimate textual reason and I I also personally believe you need to have some kind of musical consistency I want the show to sound like a show regardless of what song it is everything needs to sound cohesive i want this to be one unit so if i hear a random song i want to be like hey this sounds like the composer or the show even better and there's no textual reasons for any of these genre changes there's uh some like traditional sounding musical theater at the beginning there's an elvis song there's a sad cowboy song there's a calypso number for no reason (laughs) because it would be fun pisses me off more than anything in the entire world right because you just hate fun so that that's my number one biggest beef right it's awful (laughs) well on that note i think that the genre changes for me are one of the things that make that makes this show really fun because like i mean there are times i have literally been listening to musicals and got bored of them because all the music is generally the same throughout the entire show. Now I'm not saying that every musical needs to have like stark genre changes. Cause I don't think that's necessary, but I think that's one of the things that's endearing about this show in particular is that it kind of just goes that direction and has all these genre changes. And it's I'm, granted your musical knowledge is much deeper and wider than mine, but I don't know of any other show that has this many genre changes within the context of one show cats sure i guess um however the thing with (laughs) cats is like you can hear one song and you can be and i feel like for me personally i can hear one song and be like okay i know this is cats right um and it's the same thing for me with joseph i can hear one song in the show it could be any pick any random number i could be like Mm -hmm. oh okay this is joseph right and i know that and i don't and for so for me the genre changes don't really mean anything as far as like, I don't find them distracting because like, like I said, I'm, I'm familiar enough with this show to where all of them, I can hear, like I said, any, if you pick one song on the show, I know exactly what it's going to be. I think that's only because you know the show really well. Possibly. But I also think when I, when I hear about consistency, like you want the show to sound like itself basically throughout the entire show, Yes, it makes me think about specific numbers that are in that's in Joseph and also in cats I'll say that keeps reappearing and so for me that's essentially the same thing right because if I think about a show like like Les Mis for example 
there's not really any genre changes in that, right? It's pretty consistent, but I generally can't tell what song is what in that show. Not because I'm unfamiliar with it, but because they all kind of sound samey to me. At least with Joseph, I can hear the song and go, oh, I know exactly what the song is and what show it's from. And I I think that just comes down to differing taste because I prefer it to sound like the show rather than to be, oh, this is... I can't think of any of the titles of any songs from the show. <laughs> but yeah, like, oh, this is... I dreamed a dream. Like, I I don't care. It's lame is. <laughs> and then if I'm a super snob, then I'll know which song it is. Maybe that just comes from my from my Spotify brain where I like I hear a song and I know exactly the song title, the artist and like what what album it's on. That's a thing I can do a lot of the time. And so for me, hearing like specific songs, I can usually pick, oh, uh, this so- it's this song from this show a lot of the times with musicals. So maybe that's just a part of just who I am as a person. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I'm going to give you a reason why I think this show is really great. Okay. And you can get mad at me and give me stink eyes all you want to, but I'm going to say this. <laughs> okay. And I know, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote this to you as well. I know musicals are not for everyone. Not everyone loves musicals. Uh-huh. But I know for you, for example, you have straight up just told me like a direct quote from you is like, if there's no music, what's the point? But I know plenty of actors and lots of like general, you know, non-theater people that hate musicals, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And I think one of the things that Joseph is really great for is I think it's a I think it's a really good gateway musical. Because like if you love musicals and you want to bring someone like introduce them or like ease them into musicals, I think Joseph's a really good place to start because it's pretty easy to follow. It's big and bright and colorful. The genre changes actually help and make it really fun. And like just get, kind of giving it that, that kind of diversity within the music, um, I think, keeps people engaged a lot of the time. Like I said, I think it's it, the story in and of itself is pretty easy to follow as far as like what's happening, even though it's a sung through. And then I feel like a lot of sung through musicals can you can get kind of lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the first time I saw Les Mis, I got confused about a lot of the things that were happening because it's one of those, like, they don't stop singing. And I think the like, the original production of Rent is like that as well, right? It's more like a sing-through. Um, I mean, I can even think of, like, like Green Day's American Idiot is also a sung-through, right? It's a short musical, right? Mm-hmm. And it's based off of a concept album, but it is basically a sung-through musical. There's very little to zero spoken dialogue at all. And... One thing that always kind of surprises me about Joseph specifically and how I have kind of solidified the fact in my brain, this is a really good jumping off point for people getting introduced to musicals. My wife's grandpa is like this big, burly, tatted up, long beard, long hair, like a biker dude. And he's definitely not the type of person that I would be like, hey, grandpa, let's go and see this musical, right? He's not that kind of person. But I was in a production of Joseph and invited him as long as well as my wife's family to come and see the show. And he loved it. He said that he had never seen anything like this before. Didn't really seem all that interested in going to begin with. Was just going because the family was going. But he came and saw the show and he absolutely loved it. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to go and take him to go see Kinky Boots. Right? But... 
I mean, you got to kind of ease people into these type of things, especially if they're not immersed in musicals like you and I are. So I just think that Joseph, for me, is a really good jumping off point to kind of get that in there. For like me, it'd be like, start with Joseph, then go to something like Music Man, and then maybe something like Into the Woods or Sunday in the Park, right? So think something like that, and then you can kind of go into the more kind of obscure musical theatery stuff that's like not going to turn people away from it yeah uh maybe i i sort of disagree with that and again maybe it's just that i'm a snob and i don't like anything fun but i think if this had been the first musical i had ever seen i would have hated musicals and been like no this isn't for me it's interesting you say that because i would probably feel that way about cats specifically and honestly, I, I get that Cats is more of an ab- abstract idea. Because Cats is weird. I feel almost the same about these. I actually, I think I like Cats more than this, she said <laughs> hesitantly. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I guess, a stance to take. I mean, they're both they're both Weber shows, and I know how much you love Weber. They are. So. I think if I had to rank them, though, of, and I haven't seen every Weber show or even listened to every Weber show, but I think this is the bottom and Cats is above it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. My next point is just to start talking about uh, character. So there's, I think there's actually quite a few like really great roles in this show. Um, I mean, obviously Joseph is like the main, yes. I guess, kind of focus, but I don't think he's the main character of the show. I mean, I guess he technically is the main character, but he's not the one that's like, he's not driving this plot, right? Yes. Thing Things more happen to him. And my, I mean, I think that the narrator just drives this show. She's the star. Joseph's not, right? Yes, I agree 100%. And it's like, if you don't have a good narrator, then this show like falls on its face, right? And it's such a great role. And it's a really great role for a female actor, right? Because I know we've kind of talked about this before too, but in a lot of musicals, especially like more contemporary musical theater, Mm -hmm. there's still not a lot of great roles for women. Um, A lot of musicals seem to be more like the main character always seems to happen to just be a dude. I mean, look at, look at Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen, even like, Beetlejuice, those kinds of shows, they're very much like the main focus of this show is this dude right here, which for me as a guy is great. But, (laughs) and... Yes, as a woman in musical theater, I feel the pain. Right, right. And I think that if given the opportunity, playing the narrator and Joseph is a really great opportunity for a uh, female to really just like get out there and show off. Yeah, I and while I think it's great that this role exists and it's a great part for a female and honestly I do think you pick this show because you have a great narrator. That's the reason we can talk more about this later but I I don't really know who this show is for. I think the reason people pick the show must be because they have an amazing narrator they want to cast. Um mm-hmm. but the narrator as a character 
still feels like a consolation prize because there aren't any female characters in this show. And here's why I say that for a couple reasons. Number one, if you go back to the original concept album from 1969, it's sung by a man. Mm -hmm. And having a music background like I do, this music in the key that it's in is clearly written for a tenor especially in 1969, but even by today's standards, this is a really high belty role. We don't ask women to belt that high consistently in in that particular place. It falls weird in the female voice for most people. And I know this because I have the weird voice that it it sounds good in. (laughs) Like I have the high soprano Mm -hmm. voice that can sing this, but most people just can't do this. It's not sustainable. I mean, I think you should brag more. There's a lot of high Fs that are, it's, and it's, all, it's meant to be belty. It's just the style of music. It was written for a man, and I think they got far enough along in the writing process. They said, oh, yeah, there's no female roles. Well, I guess the narrator could be a woman. And then since then, it's kind of always been given to a woman. Because if you, let's look at all the other female characters in the show. Uh, I thought of two that are featured. Mm-hmm. Um, one would be Mrs. Potiphar, who doesn't even get her own name, has one line and has the very deep character traits of beautiful and evil. And and she's only evil because she likes sex. So she obviously must be a demon. <laughs> like that's what it takes to be evil. <laughs> and that's it. That's all she gets. She doesn't even get her own name. And then I think you could argue that the other featured role is that one wife who sings the backup Oz in the sad cowboy song. And that's it. Like there's nothing else except to be an ensemble member. And there's nothing wrong with being an ensemble member. But where are the female characters? Well, there's a there's a featured dance number as well. At least in in the 99. The prostitute who makes Jacob feel better. (laughs) No, that's that's, must be evil. She's not a prostitute. She likes sex. Oh, well, I watched the movie. I think she's a prostitute. No, those those women, when they're with the brothers, are their wives. So that's one of Jacob's wives. I mean, you know, biblical okay, biblical great. times, so, multiple wives, all that kind of stuff. That's your character trait, is that you are married to someone else. And I, I get that, like, it's based on a Bible story. And how many women are in the Bible that get featured more than, like, in passing? But it, this wasn't written in biblical. It's like, where are the other characters? Well, I mean, technically in the Bible, Miss Potiphar's wife doesn't have a name in there either. She's just called Potiphar's wife. Right. So, but that's the problem. Being a woman thinking about the show is like, okay, I could play the narrator who also doesn't get a name. Like no one gets, none of these women get their own name. Two, only two of them actually sing words or say words, right? The narrator is the only one who sings any actual lyrics and Potiphar's wife says one line, and that's it. So yeah, the narrator's a great part, but it's a consolation prize, and I hate it. It's a consolation prize, even though she's the most prominent character in the show. Yeah, because it was written for a man, and they didn't they didn't even think, oh, we should write some parts for women, even though there are way more women in musical theater than men. I mean, I really can't speak to that. I'm not the one that wrote the show. I'm not either, but... It, it really feels like a consolation prize to me. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter what gender the narrator is because the narrator is not part of this Bible story that we're basing things off of. Okay. What's your next point? Well, w- while we're talking about characters, let's talk about how Joseph is insufferable. <laughs> okay. I hate Joseph as a character. I think he is the worst. <laughs> okay, well, why? He's so awful. So... They they don't introduce him 
right away. Like he, you know, they don't really introduce him as a character and go into detail about who he is until after. Is it Jacobs and Sons? Is the name of that song? Mm-hmm. That's the open. That's not the opening number, but it's like the third number in the show. We get to see Joseph, but we don't really get to know him until a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, so thinking specifically about the Donny Osmond film, and I think he played this role exactly the way it was meant to be played. He played it perfectly, which is why I hate Joseph as a character so much. But they set Joseph up as being the most loved of all of his father's sons. Right. And then he comes out and sings about how he's so great and he's way better than all of his brothers because his dad loves him more. And here is my rainbow coat and aren't I just delightful? Like <laughs> the lyric, uh, what is it? Uh, I Hold on. I wrote it down. I look handsome. I look smart. I'm a walking work of art. Like shut your smug mouth, Joseph. I would have sold him into slavery too. <laughs> I cannot stand him. Well, I mean, it's obviously very, very obvious and apparent, like that in the like setting that up. That yeah, he's an ar- he's an arrogant. <laughs> he is. That's a really important part of the story because if he's not that way, then his brothers have no reason to sell him into slavery, right? It's it's written that way on purpose. But his brothers are the bad guys. I mean, I guess technically speaking, I mean, the show is about Joseph, sure, right? That's like the whole point, right? It's like, uh, but it's the, they're initially perceived that way. Yes. Because of Joseph being an arrogant little jerk and it's his redemption arc, right? That's the, that's the whole thing. It's Joseph's story. It's his redemption story. And like him being able to like, you know, not to see like, oh, Hey, maybe I was wrong for acting this way. At least this is how I perceive it. Right. I, yeah, I don't go ahead. I mean, I just perceive it as a story. It's a story of redemption and a story of forgiveness. That's how I how I have always perceived this story. Maybe I'm not petty enough. I don't know, but like, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like at the beginning of the story, what happens to him is clearly his fault, right? I mean, it's partially Jacob's fault as well. Jacob doting on this particular son because like he even like the lyric is Joseph's mother. She was quite my favorite wife. I never really loved another all my life, right? So that was his favorite wife. So and then Joseph was her offspring. So therefore, this is my favorite son because he reminds me of her, right? So he dotes on him a lot, which makes all his other brothers jealous. And, you know, if you're being raised as a spoiled brat, when you become to be a teenager or an adult, you're going to be a spoiled brat. That's how that works. And so justifiably so, his brothers choose to get rid of him. Granted, I don't think selling him into slavery or, you know, saying or pl- plotting to kill him necessarily is like the best way to handle that situation. <laughs> Probably not. But that's what they do. And it's at that point after Joseph is sold into slavery and he is on, you know, and gets sent to work in Egypt, right? That's when um, he's like, oh, maybe I was wrong. This kind of sucks, right? But it, he, I mean, I don't think he really comes into that, uh, that kind of, re- that, what's the word I'm looking for that introspective of like, Oh, I was wrong to act this way until close every door. I, I like your thought process. I'm going to disagree with you. Um, I think he never has an introspective moment throughout the entire show. So he, so you have the, is it called code of many colors? I, I hate that song, (laughs) but I want to talk about that song more specifically. That song's called, that song's called Joseph. He he goes from being like, I'm handsome, I'm smart, like, uh, I'm delightful, uh, 
and everyone, all of his brothers, I think, what do I want to say? Because of the history of the show, knowing that it was written to be a school show, which is specifically designed to teach this Bible story to children, it has to be very explicit and surface level. Sure. And that's obvious. The characters are constantly singing exactly what they're feeling. Sure. It, you know, they're, the narrator is driving the storytelling exactly what's happening, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with writing a school show. But because of that, we know exactly what Joseph is feeling. And he's like, happy-go-lucky. Then his brothers sell him into slavery. And then I think the next the next thing is Potiphar, right? And there's a lyric about Joseph uh, was, what is it? Joseph was an unimportant slave who found he loved his master. Oh, I'm, an, I'm a slave, but I'm happy and I like my master. It makes me work harder. And now I'm, you know, look at me. I'm still a good person, even in this horrible circumstance. Then... Uh, then the whole Mrs. Potiphar thing happens. He gets thrown in prison, close every door. He finally has a sad moment. I don't think he changes from the beginning of that song to the end of the song. I think he's just finally not happy. And then immediately the ensemble has to come back on and be like, don't worry, Joseph, it's going to be okay. Let's sing this great number to pump you up again. We know how your story ends because we're telling a story, but we're acting it out at the same time and time has no meaning, but yay, Joseph. And then he's happy again. And the only time there's any change in his character, and I don't think it's really explained well, is when he decides to frame his own brother for theft. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he has a very quick change again where he's like, don't you remember your brother Joseph? Aren't I delightful again? And then that's the end of the show. So we hear everything that he's thinking and feeling. There's really not a lot of subtext written into the show. And I think just because of the nature of it being a school show Mm -hmm. or, you know, its original iteration was a school show. So I don't think he ever really gets a redemption arc. Okay, sure. And for that reason, I like the brothers better. I don't like any of the characters, let's be real. But I, I just, my notes just say Joseph is insufferable. Right. And the only time he was even a bit likable to me was when he tried to frame his brothers for theft. Because then he at least did something interesting. That's the only time he had any action in his own story. Every other time, it just happens to him. Right. Well, the only reason, like, if you going to go with that context, like he, I mean, obviously he frames his brother, his youngest brother. Mm-hmm. He frames him because he still believes that oh, yeah, my brothers did this thing to me, and I'm mad about it because they did it out of malice, right? Right. So that's why he chooses, like, oh, I'm going to, to do this thing. And then he realizes that they've, that, they're, that they've changed, and they're not that way anymore. I guess, because like, even if you think about the song Canaan Days, right? This is, like, the French number. Um, uh-huh. They're singing about how, like, huh? <laughs> well, you hate everything, so I'm not going to even comment on that. But... And that particular song, and you now they're talking about like essentially. I guess the the idea in that song is that they're being punished because they got rid of Joseph. So like, you know, everything in Canaan is just falling apart, right? Right. Like all their they're all like there. There's a famine, you know, like all that kind of stuff is happening, and that's why they have to go to Egypt in the first place, right? So I don't know where I'm going with this now. I lost my train of thought, but. I think I understand what you're saying. I, I just, Joseph goes from being so like generally positive and trying to be a rule follower to suddenly, you know, his his brothers are there and he decides to, I guess, try to enact revenge on them by framing the youngest brother. But then 
if it were me and I were Joseph in that situation and I was like, yes, there's my delicious moment to get revenge on my brothers who don't recognize me. When all of the other brothers defend the youngest one, I think that would make me more mad. Like, oh, so when it was me, you, you sold me into slavery and told everyone I was dead. But now it's the youngest brother. Now you're going to stand up for him? Like, then I would have, I don't know. <laughs> like, why does he suddenly change his mind? They didn't do it for him. So why, like, why does he finally respect them now that they do it for someone else? Well, I think it's because, like, it's like, oh, well, I mean, if they still felt the way like they did when they got rid of Joseph, they would have just let Joseph take Benjamin away and just, you know, do what he wills. So the song, I mean, that's what the whole thing with the with the Benjamin's Calypso song is them being like, oh, no, no, we, we've changed. I'd like, take me, don't take him, right? And yeah, it's the whole, it's the same story that, that's in the Bible, right? It's not any different, really. It's just more musical, really. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably the most, like, faithful biblical story I've ever seen. Like, and you could say this, like, there's a lot of, a lot of musicals and movies that, like, are based off a of certain source material that take a lot of liberties. This one doesn't really, it's, pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. which i think is like pretty cool for me personally but they just though they didn't really change much it's the same story that you can read about Mm -hmm. but i guess when with the thing with with benjamin is that when he sees his brothers being like oh no 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 like you can't take him take me instead he that's when he realizes like oh well they've changed they're not like this way anymore and that's why you know he goes goes that way yeah i i also think the music sort to talk about um what do I want to say to talk about this being a faithful adaptation of a bible story um I mean I personally I don't know if I've ever read this bible story I was raised catholic but (laughs) it was more of a cultural experience than a faith experience so like sure I'm familiar with like I'm uh, familiar with a lot of Bible stories and that I know they exist, but have I read them explicitly uh, maybe a long, long time ago? So I can't really speak to that, mm-hmm. which is fine. So I trust you on that. Um, I think the music undermines some of the morals of that because they specifically, the brothers specifically have so many genre changes that make what's happening into a joke. So the very first genre change, I would argue, in the whole show is when the brothers first decide they want to get rid of Joseph and it suddenly gets jazzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which I don't, I'm not sure if that's because it's a school show and we're not trying to make it too scary for little kids. But it, it makes the brothers, number one, it emphasizes that they're the villains, I feel. And it also kind of makes it funny. And then they get rid of Joseph and they sing their sad cowboy song, which is obviously meant to be funny. Yeah, and it's sarcastic. Yeah, and sarcastic. Like, it's funny. Then, you know, they, they go, then they, it gets back into that, what I would say is more like the core musical theater sound of this show that's kind of imitating each, what Andrew Lloyd Webber imagines is an Egyptian sound. I don't really understand. And, but then they go into the Calypso number, which, I mean, I have problems with the Calypso number in general, but then, like, it, the sudden change makes it a joke. And then those Canaan days, it being that, like, French film noir drama thing that makes it a joke. Right. Well, I mean, they it's a family-friendly show, right? They're trying to make it light, lighthearted. And granted, like, you can do family-friendly and still show, you know, show a wider range of emotion. But, you know, this is supposed to be like, I don't know. I guess, I guess the implication of that is it's just supposed to be really fun. 
and like even though like oh yeah we're in a we're in a bad place right now but let's not be depressing about it that's kind of how i see it because like i would say that if you wanted to market this as a children's show you definitely could right it's typically billed as like a family-friendly show Mm-hmm. i think there are two ways to market this show successfully and we can actually we can well maybe let's save that for a minute can we talk about the color song we sure can <laughs> let's talk about that color song Okay, uh, in, in my notes, I have it listed as the bleeping color song. Um, <laughs> Tell me more. Joseph loves his coat of, quote, many colors. Um, have you ever seen an amazing Technicolor dream coat that was more than eight colors? Because I have not. Sure have. You've seen more than eight colors? Mm-hmm. I would love to know what that coat looked like because I every coat that I've seen, including the 1999 film, which I believe is the reference for everything, like when people think of Joseph, that's what they think of. Mm-hmm. It is red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, and black. And there's even a line about it being lined with gold, and it's not. And so, number one, that's lazy costume design. But number two, why do we sing so many colors? Why are there so many shades of brown? Has anyone ever seen a brown dream coat? Me neither. And also, how do they get away with calling it a Technicolor coat? Because isn't Technicolor trademarked? It's not that cool. I think the <laughs> I think with Technicolor, it's like kind of, it's like a callback to when uh, films started being produced in color. It was like oh, now in Technicolor or whatever. So I think it's kind of a callback to that. Um, even though it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> but they don't even refer to it within the context of the show as being Technicolor. So like, why is it in the title? What would you have rather they called it? I just, I think, here's, I think this show is extremely immature lyrically. Um, Again, starts as a school play. That's fine. But when you decide you're going to bring it to Edinburgh Fringe and you decide that it's going to go to the West End, you decide it's going to go Broadway, let's make some updates. Because we don't, I don't care if it's ochre and peach and fawn. Like, well, technically, no it's red and yellow and green and brown shape. and scarlet no, and black and ochre and peach and ruby and <laughs> olive and violet <laughs> and fawn stop. and lilac I'm and gold die. and chocolate and mauve and cream and crimson and silver and rose and azure and lemon and russet and gray and purple and white and pink and orange and blue. Okay, but the problem is they sing the first five colors. What is it? Red and yellow and green and brown and blue multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's just those five colors. It's not brown. I have never seen a brown dream coat. Never. And no, why would you? Because that's not a beautiful color. And there are so many shades of brown that are listed in that really long list. And there's I've never seen a dream coat with brown because that's not beautiful. It needs to be rainbow. It's technicolor. Right. We had brown in Casablanca. Like, let's... Well, trust me, the... <laughs> it needs to be beautiful. So... So why would you include so many shades of brown in your lyric list? They're just listing all those lyrics, like all those colors in the lyrics to show off. Probably. And I think this is a discovery I've made. Maybe I don't hate Andrew Lloyd Webber. Maybe I hate Tim Rice. <laughs> well, he is the one that wrote the lyrics, so maybe your, mis- maybe your hate is misplaced. It, maybe it is. I mean, I severely dislike Andrew Lloyd Webber as a person, and I've never met him, but, you know. Right. Uh, I also like in other instances, not just in the the bleeping color song. So I'm going to lovingly refer to it for the rest of this episode. Uh, it changes tenses all the time. Like the question of when are we? I don't understand. So I know, like in the and and I know you've done this show, so I'll ask you this uh, in reference to the production that you were a part of, which I did not see. Okay. Um, 
in the film, the beginning of the film, uh, they're in a school assembly. And I believe that's a nod to the original context of the show being a 20 minute school show. And so, you know, the narrator's kind of sort of singing to the children about what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then the like the teachers in the building are part of the storytelling and then the kids are sometimes involved. And so it's, it's kind of this abstract thing of are the kids watching the show? Are they participating in the show? I don't understand. So like, for, for instance, they're talking about themselves in present tense. Like Joseph says, you know, I, I love my coat of many colors. I'm handsome. I'm smart. Like I am all this. And then they sing, you know, about how Joseph is dead when they, sell them into slavery and but then sometimes they sing about everyone in past tense and then sometimes like the go go joseph song they say we've read the book and you come out on top it's like wait what is this where are we when are we is joseph a person is he discovering this for the first time like can we just pick a storytelling method i think that comes from the implication that this is a teacher telling a story to people right so the story, like we, like I guess the implication there is that Joseph's just kind of along for the ride, right? He's not like making anything happen. It's the narrator who's telling the story that's making things happen, and also that we have we know what's going to happen because we know the story. So, you know, I guess that's kind of what the, what the implication is there for that. But you know, is the narrator talking to Joseph or talking to us though? Why does she get to talk to both? I, I, it's called breaking the fourth wall, Emily. Just, Deadpool does it all the time. I don't like it. A narrator is not part of the story. The narrator tells the story. I'm sorry. Isn't How involved so, is the narrator in Into the Woods? No, no. Those rules are broken on purpose. We can talk about breaking the rules on okay, purpose. Okay, so you don't think that it was intentional for the narrator to also be a part, like in, to be telling the story while also being a participant in the story? No, here's my theory. Uh, they wrote Close Every Door, and they were like, yes, we finally have a, a decent musical theater number, because I do believe that's the best musical theater number in the show, as far as musical theater writing and furthering character through story, which I would argue doesn't really happen anyway. But at least Joseph has a new emotion in that number. And then I think they looked back at it, and they said, oh, no, this is a kid's show. It's, and he's feeling sad. We can't let kids know that adults feel sad. Let's sing this happy peppy number to get them pumped up again. Go, 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 Joseph. And and I think they did. I really think they didn't think about it because it's not, it goes back and forth so much. Whereas if we want to talk about Into the Woods, the narrator is not part of the story at all during act one. And then the characters intentionally pull the narrator into the story in act two because we're not telling the stories that we already know in act two. You can break the rules intentionally, but you need to have a reason for it, and you need to prove that it's intentional. Well, I think that... And I don't think they do that in Well, I would disagree, because, like, again, the narrator's the one that kind of kicks this whole story off, so that the narrator is telling you what's going to happen, granted, while, like, it's going on, right? And Joseph is a participant, or Joseph is the main character, and the narrator is a participant in what's happening as well typically right you can like the narrator was kind of will kind of get plugged into certain scenes that you like you know that she's there and she's kind of interacting with things but because she's the kind of the catalyst that starts this whole story off right because the show starts with her singing yeah because she's telling the story not because she's part of it right but again it's, it's just kind of breaking that fourth wall between you know the audience and the narrator right because like I mean, that's like it happens all the time in media like there's diff- all different kinds of movies and things like and books that break the fourth wall all the time. 
right? And that's essentially what I feel like that character is doing. So she's like, yes, like, so you recognize this character as being the narrator, but she's also along for the ride as much as Joseph is to an extent, right? Because the story's happening to Joseph, but she's telling it. But she can also kind of like jump in and interact as well. I mean, I agree that she does that, but I don't think that she should. Okay, well, then you think she should just stand on the side and do nothing? Because of... Because if that's the well, case, I think then that it needs to be intentional. <laughs> I feel like if that's if that's the case, what is her purpose? Her purpose is to tell the story, right? That's what she's doing. She's the narrator. She's telling the story. Yeah, exactly. And she is telling the story for the majority of the show. But then Joseph feels sad for three minutes, and she needs to jump into his jail cell with him because the bars are clearly big enough for her to jump into the freaking jail cell, and then she has to cheer him up with the help of everyone and their mom. Because we can't have Joseph feeling sad. He's delightful. You're talking about the movie. He's handsome right? and smart. You're talking about in the film version, yes. <laughs> well, I'm talking, yes. I do think it's stupid that she fits through the bars of the jail cell in the movie. Right. That, that's just a stupid set right. thing. I think in the, the context, like she sings directly to Joseph in that number in every version as far as I know. Sure. But why does she suddenly get to sing? She doesn't sing to Joseph at all except for that moment. Right. And then at the very end of the show, when they sing a weird duet. Right. But like when you're watching, like if I bring in the 1999 movie as an example, right? Mm-hmm. If you're watching that, how often does she actually interact with the other characters? It's does constantly. She, does she call them out to their faces? Well, but well, like she. I, I see. Here's the thing. I'm okay with her wandering around and being in the same frame as the story, but she's not part of the story. She's outside of the story, facilitating the story being told to the audience. Sure, but she uh, there she's still interacting with the characters, right? Like she interacts with Jacob, she interacts with the brothers, she interacts with the the Potiphar slaves or whatever. Like she's in, like she's constantly interacting with characters throughout the show, while she's not like necessarily talking directly to them. She's talking to the audience, telling that as she's telling the story, but she's still there interacting with everyone along the step. Every, every step of the way so i don't see that as being like it doesn't take me out of it at all but like oh okay so she's both telling the story and also she's there right yeah i think i don't think we're ever gonna agree on this either <laughs> probably not but, but again i don't see it any different as the narrator from into the woods it i don't see any difference at all i do i think tonally and maybe like personality wise it doesn't change but lyrically should have been smarter than that I think they just thought, oh, we can rhyme stop with top. And oh, how could we add this word? Like, lyrically, again, lyrically, this is fine. I would expect a 19-year-old to write this show for his uh, primary school and be like, look, I wrote some music with my, I think Tim Rice was actually 22 or 23 when this was written. I think he's older than Weber. Uh, But, you know, I would expect young uh, inexperienced writers to write something like this mm-hmm. and present it and that's fine but it needs to be updated like don't sell this to me as a full show for adults if it's not well I mean I think it's built as a family show so in that sense they can really do that and again I think the simplicity is also something that helps people okay, well understand it respect me as an adult Res- yeah, respect me as an adult that I'm smarter than that and respect my children to be smarter than needing everything fed to them on a silver platter or a technicolor platter. I like I mean I just I don't ag- I don't agree that it's dumb that it's necessarily blue. dumbed down at all, right? 
And if you want to, I mean, you could build this as a kid's show and you want to say, oh, Joseph is a show for children. I think that's perfectly fine to say that. But then if you want to take the, they make that point and take out the validity of like, oh, well, it's not good musical theater because it's musical theater for children, then I think that's doing a disservice to really good kids shows like Frog and Toad. So I don't know Frog and Toad super well. Mm hmm. Well, I'll tell you right now, there's a song all about eating cookies in that show. Well, that, I'm not sure if I love that or hate that. Well, I think judging by the context of what we're talking about here and you <laughs> hearing these words, you're going to absolutely hate Frog and Toad. But Frog and Toad is intentionally written for children, right? And I think you could kind of put this show in the same vein as that. And I think there are a lot of musicals that are written for children that are not good. Right. But I think this show and something like Frog and Toad are a lot more clever than people give them credit for. And I don't necessarily think they're dumbing it down. Right. Because I don't think Joseph is written for 29 year old Emily Chavone. Well, no, it wasn't because it wasn't alive yet. <laughs> right. But that's, but that's what I'm saying. Like this show wasn't written for like your typical theater snoot like you are. It was written <laughs> for like general theater people that like maybe aren't really know that much about theater and that's why i think it's a good jumping off point right i see it as a show that is not necessarily like i don't think it's being like hey stupid here's what's happening in the show and i don't ever think the show is intentionally written that way but i do think it is presented more as like i mean when you look at the present most of the presentations for this most of the time the narrator is talking to like a gaggle of children, right? So that right off the bat tells you, okay, so this is a someone telling a story to children. So therefore, this musical's probably geared more towards kids, but isn't necessarily for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I see what you're saying. And I, I think, actually, I think I kind of agree with what you're saying. But I think <sighs> in execution, it's it's not... It's not hitting the mark. and For you. Well, I think for anyone who's studied any musical theater, but like, let's think about like Pixar films, for example. So Pixar, I would generally say like their target audience is children. That's, that's the main audience that they're going to get in the most cases. Now, I would argue that Pixar is more family oriented because there are going to be parents who are going to watch these films with their children, but... The film doesn't specifically only cater to a child's level. There are going to be jokes that go over the kids' heads that are for the parents. Right. And I think that comes with smart writing. I don't think Joseph has anything that's going to go over any kids' heads. It's all spilled out right there. It's it's all explicit. Even the stupid joke that, oh, Pharaoh's the king and Elvis is the king, so wouldn't it be great if Pharaoh was Elvis? Like, that's stupid. That's <laughs> People are smarter than that. Like, give your audience credit. You know, we're just looking for, like, different... We want it to be fun. Like, no. Stephen Sondheim, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Kander and Ebb, all these people were already producing work and setting the bar for what musical theater is. So there's no excuse, in my opinion, for, like, explicit base musical theater writing, except that they were inexperienced, very young adults who were trying to put on the show and that's fine, but like, let's leave that in this place of I'm inexperienced and here's the first musical I ever wrote. Mm -hmm. Not that it's well, this grand thing. Can you tell me what children's show it Stephen Sondheim wrote? Was Stephen Sondheim writing for children? 
is did he write a did he write a single musical that was for children? I don't think so. Yeah. So then I think comparing this show to literally anything Sondheim wrote is kind of an irrelevant argument because I don't think it's written for like like I said, I guess the high society of musical theater, right? Something as like mus- as musically complex or thematically complex as something Sondheim would write is not going to be geared towards children. I mean, I guess you could take a kid to see Into the Woods because like, oh, it's fairy tales, but man, it gets real, real dark. So, (laughs) right. And I'm not, I'm not comparing this to that. I'm just saying that if, you know, if the argument is that this was written for children, but it's also a family show and it's a good way to draw people in, this doesn't, this is not a good representation of what musical theater is for me, even in its time. Because all, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein and Kander and Ebb and all these musical theater greats were already writing for decades. And so knowing anything, literally anything about musical theater, Weber and Rice should have known better. And in the years following, as they were adapting this show and getting ready to go to the West End, someone should have told them, hey, by the way, like, this isn't this isn't good enough to be high art musical theater. And maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just being a snob and that's not the goal at all, but like, I hate this. And you're allowed to hate it. All art is subjective, <laughs> right? I just, it hurts my soul to even call this art. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people say the same thing about, people um, said the same thing about Andy Warhol and Robert Rauschenberg talking about fine art for a minute, right? They said the same things about them, like, oh, pop art's not art, but it was real damn popular. Well, popularity doesn't make something art either. No. Again, art is subjective. <sighs> I have a couple a couple other things here. If we can kind of go back and talk about characters. Oh, I I do have I have one other point. Well, actually no, I have like two short points. Okay, go uh, ahead. And this was the question that I wanted to ask you actually. Um cuz I I mean, you know this. I was around when the production of Joseph that you were a part of happened. Sure. And I had seen other shows that this particular theater group had done and I purposely didn't go to see Joseph because I don't like it. Right. So like even before we met, I there was I could have seen you on stage and I chose not to. Um so my question is how did you or did your production incorporate children? We did not. You had no children on stage. No. We we the intention was there to do that, but um uh-huh. from what I can remember there I think because of the time slot, there wasn't enough interest from children in the area. Interesting. So we did it without the children, but the intention was to have them in the show. Okay. So how did your, this, uh, how did your production address like the beginning of the show where I, both productions, so the movie, and then I saw another stage production Mm -hmm. Uh, they did incorporate young children with the narrator at the beginning so i'm wondering how did uh the production you were part of address that where i think the narrator is meant to be talking to children yes but the narrator just addressed the audience directly okay yeah i I honestly i think i like that more i you know i'd be interested to see it to know for sure um because you know this is a a school play or you know it was a school play that was its original yeah I think it was originally 15 minutes and then it was like 30 minutes and then they bumped it up to a full a full production yeah, run. Yeah, I do I do have some notes about that. Um Let me say this. I I let me say this real quick. I do think that this show works better with no intermission. I was going to ask you that too actually. 
Did you do an intermission? We did not. Excellent. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. Why would you do an intermission? Right. But I will say this. I mean, you definitely could. I mean, and I think a lot of productions do. Because, I mean, I've seen the show. I've seen this show twice. Once professionally and once at a, and once at a university. Okay. And both times they had an intermission from what I can remember. I was really young. I mean, Joseph was the first show I ever saw live, like in person. Mm-hmm. So I was really young when that happened. And I'm pretty sure there was an intermission. Okay. But um, I think the show works better without one. Like, I don't think you need one. However, if you decide to do this show with no intermission, cut the Mega Mix. You don't need it. Yeah, I agree with that too. So we probably should have talked about this earlier, but here are my notes about the history of this show. Um, It's a 15 minute, uh, and the quote here is a pop cantata for school. And then there was a concept album released in 1969. And then Jesus Christ Superstar had some big success. So Joseph started getting amateur productions in the U.S. beginning in 1970. And then in 1972, it had its professional premiere at Edinburgh Fringe. It was expanded to a 35-minute musical at that point. And then Mm -hmm. expanded again for the West End in 1973. Um, Then it didn't transfer to Broadway until 1982. And then there was the 1999 direct-to-video film. Starring Dr. Joseph himself, Donny Osmond. Oh, my gosh. I do think he was perfectly cast. But I still hate Joseph as a character. He was perfect for that role. I think he's the definitive <laughs> Joseph, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Um, I My question, and we can talk about this, if it's not a school play anymore, right? It's clearly been expanded. It's meant to be produced professionally, community. I mean, I guess you could do like a high school production of this show. Um, why is there a children's choir? There are no child characters. They don't contribute in any meaningful way to the story. It's not really framed as a school assembly on stage. So why is there a children's choir that sings like la, 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 la in the background of Close Every Door? Like they're not contributing. So I think this works better without children. That's a good point. And I do think that maybe at this point it's just tradition because they've done it this way for so long. Uh, But yeah, I I think you can completely just cut the children and it's not going to affect the show really in any way. It didn't affect ours when I did it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the part that the children were supposed to sing went to the... Uh, the women in the cast, the women ensemble, they sang the children's part, the high harmony, the la la la's and all that stuff. Right. So we just had them. They sang that part versus. Um, I, I mean, and I don't honestly, I don't think what they sing is particularly important in those songs. So I think you could cut all of that and really not lose anything. It's just background noise, really. Right. Mm hmm. I mean, I think it, it's it's already written. It's written into the music, obviously, because I've seen the sheet music. So it's written into the music that way. But it is really isn't that important. It just kind of adds a little bit more, I don't know, texture to the song. Otherwise, you're just hearing just like I'm thinking of Close Every Door specifically. You're just hearing sad violins or whatever the whatever the music is at that point in time. Or Joseph is basically just standing on stage by himself and you just hear sad music. And if there's no la-la-las, then it just kind of sounds weird and empty. Right. Well, and, and I think the la-la-las are honestly kind of boring. Like, I wish there was more. And I don't know if... I, I don't know who's to blame for that. Is that the orchestrator? Is that Andrew Lloyd Webber? Like, what? where does this come from? How much of it was the original show and they just kept what existed because it was easier? I mm. So that leads me to my 
biggest question, which is, who is this for? Who produces the show? Who who comes to see this show? I I have some thoughts about two ways this could be successful. Okay. (laughs) Both of them are kind of bad, but go go, ahead. no, No, you go ahead. You tell me what. Tell me what you think. I think this works as a uh, a high school show if for some reason you have only one girl and like a hundred boys. But again, the narrator is such a crucial part to this show. And I guess you could cast a tenor and just make it a boys show and, you know, make it funny that the two characters that are mentioned in passing are women that are played by boys. Yeah, sure. So there's that. But I do think like... You have to have people expect a female narrator at this point, so you need to have a really good narrator. So that that's one is that it's a children's show. Let me talk about the brothers for a second, though. Okay. So, I I uh, I kind of get I see what you're saying for sure because it is such a male heavy show that if and the majority of like say a high school theater department is going to have more girls than boys typically, right? And I do think that you're right about you. This you do this show if you have a narrator. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a narrator, you can't do this show. And if you have a ton of boys, then then yeah, you could definitely do the show because, other than the narrator, the brothers make or break this show. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have if you don't have the, I mean, and I think you could you could probably mix it up and have have girls play like the younger brothers or some of them, right? And I don't think it would affect it that much. Yes. But that being said, like the brothers are such a pivotal role in this show that I would say 90% of the comedy comes from them. So if you don't have a, a strong ensemble that can pull these roles off, then you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Right. I agree. They they do they do like most of the heavy lifting. They serve as both you know their named characters as the brothers, and also they serve as the ensemble. And so like if the brothers don't sell it, the show's not going to work. And I don't want to say like Joseph is. Joseph obviously the show is a, about him, right? But he's not the like if you could have a, if you have a little a pretty boy that can that can sing that song that can sing close every door, mm-hmm. then. Yeah, that's going to be your Joseph. Because, like, Joseph doesn't really do a lot of choreo. He doesn't do a lot of really much of anything else other than, like, he does, he's a he's a park and bark. He stands and he sings all, most of the time. So, like, you could have a, a boy that, you know, maybe isn't your strongest dancer, but, man, he can sing like a canary. You throw him out mm-hmm. there and put him as Joseph, and then you have your, your narrators, your strong female vocalist, and then your brothers are just, like, your kids that can, that can move well or, you know, or you can rely on. To just really sell it, right? Yeah, and that kills my soul. <laughs> and that's all I'm really trying to say, as far as like, as far as who the show is for, right? Uh, I think it's most, it's one of the most produced shows of like ever. I'm pretty sure. I know the Fantastics is like the oldest or like the longest produced musical, right, or something like that. Uh, it's the longest running musical in New York, but it wasn't on Broadway the whole time. Okay. Um, well, yeah, Joseph has been produced thousands of times, right? Yeah. And I think it's because, I think it's because it's, it's, I don't know if it's necessarily cheap, but it's pretty easy to do. I don't think it's all that taxing. I don't think you need a big major set for it. I've seen this show in Proscenium. I've seen this show in Thrust. I've seen this show in The Round. And I think that's a pretty cool thing that this show actually has enough diversity to it to where you can do that. 
talking from a technical standpoint, like you don't really need to do much as far as costumes and set, which is a, a kind of a cool thing to do. I mean, you could totally Jesus Christ superstar this thing and just have him wearing 70s clothes or whatever other except for Joseph he just the only the only pivotal thing Joseph needs is a coat is the is the coat right but the other characters you can kind of dress them however like there's no necess- there's not really anything specific that they need to wear right yeah i guess and so i think that this show has been produced so often because it's an easy show to do yeah if you have the personnel for it yeah and i think like Again, because for me, and I'm, I'm going to use the word immature. I don't mean that in a negative way necessarily. Like, I think it's meant for, like, inexperienced, immature audiences who maybe, like, need things spoon-fed to them. Okay, sure. Like, so I think it works as a school show. I also, here's my alternate proposal for how this show might actually be really successful. And you might hate this. Okay. Well, I mean, I I hate everything that you've said so far, but we can talk about this. (laughs) Uh, This has been so negative, and uh, maybe this will lift it up a little. I want to see this as a drag show. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see a drag parody show of Joseph, because I think that could work. Well, I mean, to me, that just sounds more like a gimmick than an actual, like, I don't know. Like, I don't don't necessarily want to be negative, but having Joseph be a drag show for me is like, I don't see the point in it uh, because I don't think it's necessarily adding or detracting anything. Maybe it's giving a reason for all of the campiness that already exists in the show. Like all of the random genre changes that are meant to be funny. I think, I think drag would heighten the humor. Maybe. I don't know. I just need a drag queen to play Joseph. And then I think he's less insufferable. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, I guess to each their own on that one. I don't know what to say to that. (laughs) That's the only way I can see this show working the way the the score and the book currently exist. I mean, you say that, but again, this show has been produced thousands of times. I just don't understand. So something about the show works or people really enjoy. So I don't know what to tell you. I know. It's awful. It's awful. (laughs) You're awful. Okay, so I'm going to go off one more time on a little tangent. Okay. Okay. So this story, right, it's been around for a long time because it's in the Bible. It's been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. There's been different iterations of this story told across different media. One of those being a DreamWorks produced film called Joseph King of Dreams, right? Mm -hmm. It's the exact same story. It's also a musical. It's just animated. It was the... The, it was the DreamWorks follow-up to Prince of Egypt because Prince of Egypt did really, really well, right? Mm-hmm. So this was kind of the follow-up to that. And there's a song in the show that serves the same purpose as Close Every Door in Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Serves the same purpose in the, in the telling of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, that song is called You Know Better Than I. This is a song I sent you. Did you actually listen to it? I did listen to it. Okay. What did you think about that particular song? I think that's a way better song than Close Every Door. <laughs> okay. I disagree. But that's not really <laughs> no, surprising. No, you don't. For real? No, I do. Yeah. I, I think, <gasps> but maybe that maybe for me personally, that 
Close Every Door for me is, I think it's one, probably my favorite song on the show. It's the most like heartfelt, emotional song on the show. And probably because I've seen this show enough and uh, I've seen the show enough times that it really means a lot to me that song does as opposed to You Know Better Than I, which I didn't listen to or see that movie until I was an adult. Okay. But maybe it's just my, my nostalgia that's coming into play here that I like. Close, I think Close Every Door is a better song. Maybe. Wow. Uh, but personally, no. I, f- I don't know what it is about the, the latter, the DreamWorks song, that I don't like as much. I honestly think it's kind of boring. Like, I don't necessarily... I think that Close Every Door makes the same point, but I don't know. I don't know. I just like that song better, and I don't really know what to say what else to say about that. Wow. So when you sent that to me, I really thought we were going to have a discussion about how that was a better song. I'm so surprised. I listened to that and I have not seen the entire movie. What is it? Joseph King of Dreams? Yeah. Yeah. So I've not seen this movie. Uh, It's been a really long time since I even saw Prince of Egypt. But anyway, uh, I listened to that song and my first reaction was, wow, this is number one, a way better song than Close Every Door, period. But number two, it's a way better musical theater character development song because at least Joseph starts and ends in a different place. Whereas Close Every Door, he just is sad. I don't think he changes throughout that song as a character. Okay, sure. And I actually, I think, you know, oh, is it Better Than I? Is that the name of the song? Uh, you know, yeah, it's called You Know Better Than I. I think that's a better song for the character of Joseph within Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat because Joseph spends every other moment of the play being like happy-go-lucky and like even though I've been sold into slavery like I love my master and I'm a hard worker and I'm delightful like I think that song is a better representation of what that character might do in that situation okay sure (laughs) um I'm so surprised that you didn't like it. I really thought you were going to say you liked it. No, no, I didn't like it. But I think it's because I I honestly think it's because I've grown up watching this version of Joseph and I didn't grow up watching King of Dreams, right? Interesting. So yeah. the, I feel like for me that because I'm so familiar with the stage production that that's my preferred version of it, I guess. My just preferred version of the story. Because, I mean, I think Prince of Egypt is an incredibly well done, like, very compelling animated film. I don't think Joseph and the and King and the King of the King of Dreams, or whatever, holds water to that movie at all. And just like comparing that to Technicolor Dreamcoat, I just feel like that this is a better show. I feel like it's a more entertaining show. It kind of keeps you more engaged as it goes along. And that, I think that helps because it's a sung through versus this show, the animated film, which isn't that way. Kind of like most typical animated musical kids films. It's, there's a lot of talking between songs. Yeah. And Joseph and the, and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat doesn't have that. It's just sung through the whole time. Yeah, I think I probably agree with you that Joseph the musical is more compelling or engaging than King of Dreams. But even though you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> well, I haven't yeah, no, but just the, the argument that you're making, I think that's probably true. 
And regardless of whether or not I think all the songs in Joseph are stupid, like obviously people like it. <laughs> right. So right. So you're allowed to be wrong. It's fine. I uh, yeah. I mean here's the thing. Like, you and I are very good friends. We'll see after this. <laughs> we yeah, we used to be really good friends, but I think maybe in the last ninety minutes I've ruined that. So <laughs> You're allowed to have your weird opinion, but just know that I can show you so many better musicals than this. And I think that's t- perfectly fair, right? I And I never said I thought Joseph was the greatest musical ever written. I'm just saying it's in my top five. And it's really in my top five because of the nostalgia for me, you know? And like to honestly, to kind of just be vulnerable for a minute, like I said, this was the first show I ever saw live this is my first live theater show i ever saw mm-hmm. and my grandma who passed away several years ago she's the one that introduced me to musicals and musical theater this particular show this was she was going to take me to see this show but i think she got sick or something and wasn't able to take me so my grandpa who was a very reserved man i'll say he didn't really do much or say he didn't really have a lot to say most of the time but he took me instead and he's he's passed on too and so for me having this memory with him this man that I like I loved but didn't really you know have a much interaction with is something that I really hold on to mm-hmm. and you know kind of helped grow my love for musicals and musical theater uh so that's I think that's probably why this show means the most or it what it means to me is because of that and like like I said, I don't think it's the greatest show ever ever written. I think there's t- hundreds of shows that are better than this. And obviously, you hate this show. It's like in your bottom rung of musicals of all time. And that's perfectly fine. You're allowed to have that opinion. But maybe just for me, it just means a lot to me. And that's why it is where, where it is where it is for me. And as far as my ranking of my preference of musical. Okay, so to end this, I think, on a good note... Uh, I have purposely not looked at the Twitter that you sent to me, but I'm going to need to hear some of these. <laughs> oh, man. Let us talk about this. <laughs> I I was just curious, and I was like, let me get on Twitter here and see what people are saying about Joseph, right? So mm-hmm. I actually went on Twitter, and I, and I searched for tweets about Joseph, and there are, like, are so many of these that, you know, people who are promoting their show, their production that they're doing, you know, so many of those, like, you know, hashtag Joseph or whatever. But then I found this one, this like deliciously golden account that is called, uh, it's called Joseph's Technicolor Meme Coat <laughs> is what it's called. And it's at Joseph's Meme Coat is what the, what the account is. And as I scrolled down, are you looking at it right now? I'm pulling it up. Oh, oh man. Just scroll down. It's going to be the best thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I, the like, the first tweet I read, I, like, I laughed so hard. It, like, I hurt myself. Like, that's how, that's how it was. You hurt yourself laughing. Yeah. At a Joseph meme. Yeah. Because it was hilarious. Wow. And I'm sure you're going to hate all of these because you hate everything fun. I, and that's on brand for me. I will give it to you that it is a very good name. <laughs> the name is so good, though. Oh, my God. What is this? 
god. I don't know who runs this account, but kudos to you. What is that? What have you just shown me? <laughs> I'm not sure if I should laugh or feel violated. Why does the corn look like that? Someone drew that. Someone took the time to draw <laughs> corn with nipples. That's the thing that made me laugh really, really hard. What? What's that picture? Oh, those look like nipples to me. <laughs> I think they're technically kernels. They definitely are. But just like, just scrolling down and looking at these different <laughs> memes, man. There's so there's a lot of really good ones. Like this one here. It says he's a ten, but he doesn't speak Egyptian very well. Oh, that was something I didn't even mention. <laughs> he's a ten. His ten. He's a ten, but his corn is green and second rate and really rather small. <laughs> Joseph, after hearing the baker's dream, knowing a bop about how amazing he is, is up next. Exactly. That's the problem with Joseph. <laughs> he's like, hey, uh, you're about to be executed, but aren't I delightful? <laughs> I have a rainbow coat back at home. Like, shut up, Joseph. <laughs> I know how much you love this show, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. If you had to dreamcast this show, who would you put in it? Um. So I'm gonna make some stipulations here. You only okay. you only have to cast Joseph, the narrator, and Pharaoh. Okay. Um, do I have to, like, am I casting Broadway actors? Am I casting anyone? Celebrities? Uh, bro- do Broadway that- actors. Okay. Well, and honestly, I do think Donny Osmond was perfectly cast. Am I allowed to cast Donny Osmond? Yeah. I mean, we'll say this. You can cast any musical theater actor in their prime. Oh, okay. Anybody. Uh, that doesn't really change Live- it. I do, I do want Donny day. Osmond now. I want an old Donny Osmond. <laughs> um, okay, that's one. Uh, okay. The narrator, see, narrator is tough because that is such a specific voice type. Um, who could sing that part hmm. and do it like the way I would want them to do it? That's such a good question. Maybe like a Barrett Wilbert Weed. Hmm. Um. Or, oh, what's her name? From also from Mean Girls, who played Regina George, Taylor Louderman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think she could do it. She could be a pretty good narrator. I don't know that she would act the narrate. Like, I don't know. It's such a specific voice type. It has to be like kind of a rock and roll sound, but to be able to belt. What about Laura Bell Bundy? (gasps) Ooh. From Legally Blonde. Yeah, that could be good. And then uh, Pharaoh. Eh. <laughs> I don't know who does a good Elvis impression. I haven't seen the new Elvis movie. Oh, you could. I mean, you could just cast Austin Butler. That's who that actor is. Was he good? I haven't seen the movie. Was he good? Apparently, he's really good. I haven't seen it yet either. I have. I'm, I'm, That's what I hear. I want to see it, but I have. I've heard he's really good. So, hey, maybe just Austin Butler. <laughs> um. Oh, what's his name? Hold on. Um, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> no. Uh, um, 
Well, honestly, you know, I, I bet Seth MacFarlane could do a really good impression, but I want to see uh, – it's Patrick Warburton. That's who I want to <laughs> Uh, the tick himself, Patrick Warburton. I would, I would pay money to just see Patrick as himself. Warburton yeah, he doesn't even have to do Elvis. I just want him to do that voice he always does. Just talk I'm like, uh, right, Joseph, come here and uh, we'll talk about this. Tell me about my dreams. Yeah, Joseph. but in like in in the like white Elvis, like <laughs> glittery bell bottom suit. My, my terrible Patrick Warburton impression. But yeah, I mean, I'd pay money to see that. Yeah, who would you cast? Uh, well, I mean. I think we've talked it out enough. I don't think I necessarily have to, <laughs> but just, just. Would you cast okay. anyone differently? I think I, but I think Donnie Osmond today, the way he exists today in 2022. Just, just Ben Platt in all three roles. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Ew. Ben Platt is insufferable though. <laughs> Tweet at me Let's at do- greatest show pod. <laughs> Tell me why Ben Platt's the best and I'm the worst. <laughs> Trust me. That's going to happen. Uh, but like, why not? Let's, let's like, I'm trying to think what's like, what's the worst possible, like, I know how much you hate the show. What's the worst possible cast I could put in here? Oh, I no. Okay. Worst possible casting. I want Ben Platt to be the narrator (laughs) and sing it, sing it as written. He's going to sing all those high notes. Um, Joseph, who else do I not really like that could play? Well, let's see that'd be appropriate casting because I don't like Joseph. Um, no, honestly, I'm still, I still want, I still want Joseph to be a drag queen. <laughs> I just think I'm onto something. Hold on a second here. I'm trying to find. <laughs> oh, I know who else would be terrible. Terribly cast. Okay. So Ben Platt is the narrator. Um, maybe, maybe like someone who is re- an amazing female performer, who would like sing the hell out of the role, but would just be wrong for it. Like Cynthia Erivo as Joseph. <laughs> and then, oh, no, no. I know who I want. Okay, go ahead. I want Josh Groban as Joseph. <laughs> and I want Lin-Manuel Miranda to play the Pharaoh. <laughs> Here's what I want. Here's what I'll say. Just, I'm just like, all I'm wrong like, casting. So this... Here's what I, here's the cast I would pick because and I would make you come see this show with me. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. This is this is my dream cast for the show, and I'm gonna bring you to come see the show with me, and you're going to stay for the entire time. Okay. Uh, well, there won't be an intermission, so that would be ideal, right? Joseph, is there no intermission in your dream show? No, this this has a this has two intermissions in my in my in my brain. Oh God. Yeah, I'm gonna make you come see the show with me. An okay. hour and twenty minutes of my patience is really testing our friendship. All right. Well. <laughs> Listen, shut up and listen to my cast. Okay. Here's <laughs> here, here's my three. Here's my Joseph, my narrator, and my Pharaoh. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Okay. You and I, we're going to go see Joseph starring Ben Platt as Joseph, <laughs> Sophia Ann Caruso as the narrator, oh my God, no. <laughs> and Hugh Jackman as the Pharaoh. Uh, and we're gonna stay the whole time. Oh my god! Uh, we're gonna stage door and tell them how good they were. Just we sure oh, my are. Soul I'm gonna my body I'm... just now. <laughs> uh, I'm dead. Oh. Rest in peace, Emily. <laughs> god! Oh, that would be so bad. <laughs> well, you're welcome. That is exactly the le. Oh, that is. Uh, uh. Gross.
<laughs> wow, you know me so well. Don't I, though? Oh, my God. That is the worst <laughs> cast I can think of. <laughs> You're welcome. It's the Greatest Show, man. It's produced by Brantley Wheeler and Emily Chavone. Our theme song is by the incredibly talented Patrick Duffy. Links to all his social media in the episode description. You can find us on all the socials at Greatest Show Pod. Tweet at Emily and tell her why her opinions are bad and she should feel bad. If you have any suggestions for a musical we should cover in the future, send us an email at thegreatestshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Anyway, I did see this, like, whoever owns this account did tweet and say that if they reach 5,000 followers, then they're going to get a Joseph tattoo. So I think we should oh indulge. We should help. <laughs> we should help. I think we should help. Right now, they're sitting at around 3,000. Let's get out there and yeah, let's help. Thir- let's all start following this 3, account. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's get out there and help people. At 5K followers, oh, no. I get a Joseph tattoo. Your wish is my command. I'm going to start. I'm going to, I'm following it right now. Yeah, here's our outro. If you had to get a Joseph tattoo, what would you get? If I had to get a Joseph tattoo, what would I get? A Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat themed tattoo. What would you get? Uh, I'd probably get that corn man um, from the meme coat account. Just the the real buff corn. I know you can't see my face, but I made the mistake again of taking a sip of water immediately after I asked you a question. <laughs> And that definitely went in my nose. <laughs> well, you're welcome for that. Oh God, she will learn someday. Uh, we need to share this. We need to share that particular tweet whenever we get our Twitter account going. <laughs> Just share that the tweet of the of the corn man. The corn. That's that's what you're gonna get. Where are you gonna get it on your body? Probably on my butt. I'd get the corn man tattooed on my butt. <laughs>